Well, good morning again. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to James chapter 4. And uh, I want to be really clear what I'm going to do this morning. It's a little different. Uh, this passage I've wrestled with, and I, I wrestled with, a lot of times you wrestle with what does God's people at Oasis need to hear? You know, when you read stuff, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I kept, you know, I sort of went to traditional path for things on reading it, and rereading it, and rereading it. And uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm not going to preach specifically from this passage, but I'm going to explain for you something to, to grab onto from it, and then I'm going to explain to you what I'm going to take it. So I'm going to give a very, very brief overview. We're going to read the passage. Uh, it'll be up on the screen here in a moment. And we're going to read it, I'm going to break it up into two different segments, and then I'm going to go into what I'm going to preach, and hopefully it will all make sense when we get to it. So James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And it is, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Chapter five. Come now, well, actually, before we go in there, that section, just brief, right? That section is definitely speaking to the church, is definitely speaking to God's people, to Christians, and it's saying something as brief as saying that everything you do must depend on God's will for doing it. Everything you do must depend on God's will for doing it. That's a, that's a sum up of that particular part. Everything you do. So if you go, hey, tomorrow I'm going to do this, it doesn't mean you have to say all the time, if God allows, if God wills. Oh, let me just try to stop that now. All right. Maybe I might have to pick up the mic. It, it, you know, we, we just have to get in our head that it's all God's will. So it's not like tomorrow I go, hey, this week I'm going to do this if the Lord allows or if God wills. And people have done that. There's nothing wrong with it. But really, in the essence, it's like anything I might plan to do or desire to do has got to be on the strength of the Lord, and I'm going to trust him for it. And frankly, my plans might fail. Can we all get along with that? So that's a real easy thing. Now, chapter 5, verse 1 through 6 is speaking more in a generalization to the world. And so let's just look at this together. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. 
He does not resist you. Now, in this language, it's talking about people who are taking advantage of the people who they oversee or care for. And it is saying, the, the depth of the language is saying really to the fact that ultimately God is going to repay that. And so we see injustice in our land. We see it everywhere. Frankly, we see it even greater in other places. But there is injustice there, and it is a warning to somebody. Let's just make it particular. If, if you are running a business or if you are overseeing a corporation or if you have a, a small business and you don't treat your employees fairly, that is not reflective of the gospel in your life, and you better make sure you line up with it. It's a warning. Now, I'm not going to preach that this morning, and you might ask why. As I navigated this, I think, hold on, let me just go ahead and switch it now. That's going to drive me nuts, let alone you. Here we go. There we go. I will try not to scream too loudly here. But, but where I got into this especially that first section, is the boasting about tomorrow. And I, and I thought, I'm like, I don't hear, most of you here at Oasis, I don't see you going, you know, that you're going to, you're, you're just sort of going out tomorrow and you're boasting about what you're going to do and you're, and you're sort of rolling with it. What I see, generally speaking, and this is in Christendom, so don't, don't get, in, in, in a rap here, is that Christians fail to make a plan that is lined up with God's word and to spend time writing it down and planning it out and plotting it out and lining it up with scripture and asking God and others if it's right. I just see generally people, uh, this is going to use an old person, older person term, willy-nilly going at it, just surviving today, just getting by today and not having, maybe you have a vacation plan, maybe you have a retirement plan, and none of those are wrong, but do you have a gospel-driven Jesus plan that you have lined up and saying, hey, number one, here's how I want to grow in the next six months. Here's our things that I am going to try for the next year. Here are ways I am going to serve in a real way in the next two years. I'm not, I don't want to ask you, but I, I want you to, in your head, just answer my question without any physical language here. I'm not trying to spot you out. How many of you have a written plan about how you want to serve Jesus in the next year? I just said don't do that. See, now see, that's condemnation of failure to obey the rules. So the outline here I've gotten from Pastor Tyler David, and I think it was just amazingly uh, essential for us to, to, to ask ourselves, do we have a plan? If not, I want to facilitate it. So I'm going to ask you to do something drastic for, for this church generation. I'm not even picking on millennials. I want you to either grab a pen or a pencil. If you don't know what they are, ask someone with gray hair. Pen or pencil or your iPad or your phone. And I, or, you know, and I want you to write a few notes this morning. Just a few notes. Because 
I would love for you to, if you're not already doing something, to apply something with this. We talk at Oasis about having head, heart, hand. We've got to apply what we're learning. We've got to apply it. So when we make decisions, there are situations where morality is not enough. Just saying, hey, my plan is just I don't want to do something immoral in the next year. Okay, that's great. But that's not, that's not wisdom. That's a simple thing right there. Wisdom is not a teaching. It is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. He gives us wisdom. He gives us the ability to say, and he exposes our shortcomings not to make us feel bad, not to make us succumb and constantly ask for forgiveness for not being perfect, but he uses those in order for us to humble ourselves and come to him. And so there is a study done in uh, roughly the early 2000s, and I'm going to read this experiment. In an experiment examining the effects of choice on happiness. So do we have a lot of choices or what? Right? We can't, I mean, frankly, when I ask my wife if we, want, if we want to go out to dinner somewhere, we spend about 20 minutes debating who's going to decide and how many different places there are. It's confusing. And then you go to a restaurant, and this is anti-Gordon Ramsay-ish. You go to a restaurant, and there's five pages on the menu of options. And you look through it, you look through it, and I just get lost and, and I'm going to default to Pastor Todd. I'll just end up getting a burger because I don't know anything else, right? It's just all too much. We have so many choices. But this study examined the effects of choice on happiness. And so they randomized individuals to a group in which they could choose from either 30 types of chocolate, ice cream, or no, just chocolate, 30 types of chocolate they could have here, or in this group, they could have up to six types of chocolate, all right? So they had this. So imagine going in, and you, some of you are chocolate fiends, I know it, and you're just like, give me 30 options, I'm gonna take all 30 if they're putting me in a room, right? But they, they took of it. And so initially, the subjects reported liking having the choice of 30. They ended up with being more dissatisfied and regretful of the choices they made than those who had the choice of six. All these choices we have do not make us healthier and happier. They just don't. I used to have a painting business, and I painted Chef Boyardee's mansion in Queenstown. And it was actually his son, but really uh, the man on the can paid for it. And um, Mr. Boyardee had way too much money to spend in this place. And I got to know him and his wife. And, um, and I'd go in, and they spent a million dollars on a fireplace mantle from Rod Stewart's uh, mansion, just marble thing, and no, no bigger than really this pulpit. They put a million dollars into that. And then they went to France, and they found a, in a monastery this huge stone fireplace, which they wanted to buy just a fireplace. And the, they refused to do it. But somehow, they bought the whole place, the whole monastery. They bought it. They ripped it out, brought it over from France to here, installed it in Queenstown, and gave the property back. 
you go in this place, I painted or I stained a front door that cost more than my first car, my first new car. It was ridiculous. And, and it was just lavish everywhere. And so I began it, and this was like I was probably 21, 22. And I just began to look at all the excess. I mean, it was gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. This place was amazing. It was a little over the top for me. I was like something a little more rustic. But, you know, and, and Chef Boyardee's wife came to the house where her son was. And she walked. She walked in. And her, her, her husband had already passed away. And she just looked at her son and said, this is outrageous. Your dad essentially would turn over in his grave for what all the excesses that you're taking, all the things that you're doing. And so as Christians, we don't want to just go to excess. We don't want to be about the next best thing because here's my thing. I got to know them. And you would think all this money would make you happy. I assure you it did not. I assure you it did not. The places ended up selling for auction in the past couple years. They couldn't sell it. They probably, I don't have any idea what their future was, but it, their future wasn't there. So as Christians, it, James here, he's warning us about the future, and they're warning us about uh, vests and how are you going to take care of people around you and it's talking about living a life of excess and luxury. And it's like, okay, I hear that. But what do I worry about here is that we don't do that for one. And number two, that we have a plan on how not to do that. But better yet, how God would have us move, move forward. So let's look at a couple things. I want to give you a four-step process to make wise decisions. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Most of us know this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding in all our, our ways, acknowledge him, and he will do what? Direct our past, right? Make our past straight, whichever version you're on. So this process requires us to trust in the Lord. And so I'm assuming most of you want to do that. And so here's, a here's their four. First one is believe God's word. So if you're taking notes, which I hope you will, the first one, and I'm gonna break these down. The first one is believe God's word. It's number one. And this order cannot be rearranged. The first one's believe God's word. The second is listen to godly counsel. Listen to godly counsel. First one, believe God's word. Two, listen to godly counsel. Three, you're going to laugh at this. Do what you want. I'll explain later. Do what you want. And four, ask for faith. Four, ask for faith. So believe God's word. Listen to godly counsel. Three, do whatever you want. Again, we'll explain. And four, ask for faith. So the first one. Believe God's word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instructions, Proverbs 1.7. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of was, uh, knowledge, but fools, I want to I acknowledge to you, I have been a fool before. Some of you have attested to it. But fools despise wisdom. So when you are not seeking wisdom, which first comes from God's word, 
you're a fool. I, I can't soften that for you. Can't soften it for you. Wisdom starts with the proper relationship of understanding God. And there is no better way to start understanding God than getting in his word. And if you're going by your life with a daily bread-ish, a, a tweet approach to scripture where you barely scratch the surface and you're just getting by, you're not seeking after wisdom, you're just getting by. And it says here that fools do not want wisdom. They do not want it. And so in a sense, if you claim to be a Christian, if you're not, just chill out, we're cool. Um, if you're claiming to be a Christian and you're not in God's word, you're being a fool. You're being foolish. Decision-making starts with things, not that we don't know, but what we do know. So when you're making a decision based on Scripture, it should be based on don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I hate to use the saying, but what would Jesus do in the Scriptures is not a bad one. It got overly commercialized. But what would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus do in my plan? How do you find that? It's not by having a quiet, necessarily meditative stance and hoping that you hear a mystery word from God. It's from getting in his word and being grounded in his word, being rooted in his word, and knowing what right and wrong is and being able to discern the different voices. I hate to tell you, and many of you probably know, that many of the things that we hear in our head don't come from God. If you're waiting on God's voice to come down and do something that he's already said to do, you are, number one, being a fool, you're crazy, and it's counterintuitive to logic. So we must have a sense of decision-making that starts on what we do know. What we know, if we stand on what the Word says, is that God's Word is always true. It is breathed out. It is inspired. And, and it is good for our soul. It is there for profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. It's all there for us. It's not a book that we go to to get beat down. It's a book that we go to to guide us and give us direction and give us wisdom, but not just for us. Don't simplify the Bible here. Don't make the Bible all about you. The Bible's about community. Do you agree with that statement? God, before the beginning, I say this over and over again because I think we need to say that. Before creation, there was community. The Father, Son, and the Spirit dwelt together in community. The angels were there. There was community. So the Bible, the Word is given to us not just for us to get by, that's a lame, low bar approach, but it's given to us to set a, ba a, ball, a bar high that we might guide other people to set their bar, bar high as well and give them instruction. If God says it's sin, so if we read in there that it's sin, there's no amount of praying to go, oh yeah, I'm going to just see if God really is going to give an exception to me. You might laugh. I've heard people do it. Oh, wait a minute. Well, I'm just trying to see if I should marry this person that's not a Christian. Lord is, is a really nice guy. Really nice girl. Uh, you know, I'm just going to spend some time alone with God and just wait to hear from him. I don't want to scream at you, but I could scream right through the mic now. No! 
together. Don't go and go against God's word. And the amount of people that wrestle with that blows my stinking mind. This is an easy no. Okay, two, should I cheat on my taxes? Hmm. Well, let me see. Um, Let me just get alone, and I just want to hear from God on this. Oh, well, maybe should I eat a grape in the in the food market? Should I go and eat the grapes and eat the other thing just to test it out? Or should I lick the ice cream just to taste its flavor? No. Should I take the Lord's name in vain by not having faith in him, by going around and acting unregenerate and just being ignorant when I'm not in church and just think that's okay? Well, God, let me just get away and see if that's okay with you. No. Right? I'm I'm just really simple here. Should I, you just name your, you put the blanket statement in there. If the Bible says it is good, then that's great. If the Bible says don't do it, stop there. You've got your answer. All right, it's super oversimplified. But do you get the general thing? The first one is believe God's word. Just got to believe it. There's three subparts of that. We got to believe the gospel. We got to believe that the gospel is for us, not just to save us for an eternity apart from God, but a lifetime that is kingdom-minded and that God's gospel is for us to affect everyone else and to be lights in a dark world and to go and love our neighbor, to love our enemies, to care for people. That is what the gospel is about. So God's word says to do those things. You don't have to think about it. God's sovereignty. It's the second subpart of that, God's sovereignty. That God even though we claim to believe, and we do, that God is sovereign and he, he controls things, that doesn't give us license to do whatever we want thinking it's all going to work out in the end. That is lame spirituality. That is immature. That is drinking of the milk and not eating of the meat of the word. You cling to God's sovereignty on one arm, and then you take man's responsibility on the other, and you move forward trusting God in it. The third one is God's mission, and it's often underlooked. Okay, I see enough people here. How many people are cold in here? Just raise your hand be honest. Okay. Ah, somebody somebody turned it down. Who are you? Just own up to it. All right, there he is. I have literally done tests and have found the, that's why. Everyone shame publicly Rob Slakes. I look around. I'm seeing everyone getting all close. I'm like, man, these couples are tight, man. We don't have to do a marriage conference. Everyone's loving each other. That's part of our welcoming here at Oasis. We want you all to get close to each other. All right. Good Lord. I spent too much time on this. Um. Point two, listen to godly counsel. Listen to godly counsel. Proverbs 18, one through two. 
Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Just ask yourself if that's you. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. That's why we got Facebook. I'll move on from that. When we isolate ourselves and don't let people speak into our lives, we are foolish. We are foolish. We must seek after godly counsel. And I'm gonna give you three, excuse me, yeah, three areas of godly counsel to start with. And this is again in order. First, family and those around you the most. That's the first place to start. Now, if your family's jacked up, you might wanna skip on one, all right? Some of you know crazy. I'm not saying that person. You don't go to that person for wisdom, but you wanna go to people who are like family. What did I say? I don't um, You wanna go to people who are gonna speak to you and love you and know God's word. Two, people in church at large who have demonstrated wisdom in the area you're struggling in. If I could have a dollar for all the people who have thought that they have the best decision-making process here and they can do their own decisions and have failed to seek counsel, I could be a millionaire. One of my instructions to my children and to some of you who have been through premarital counseling is this. Do not do this life on your own. Seek counsel. Go, and if you don't know, ask somebody. If you think you know, ask somebody. Ask somebody, not just the person who hasn't done it right, who's going to answer what you want. And so if you're a guitar player, I just started to look at you. If you're a guitar player and you don't have much money and you're just like, hey, you ask another guitar player, I want to go buy another Paul Reed Smith. And they go, yeah, dude, that's awesome. And you're like, there we go, I asked for wisdom. No. Not if your mortgage is due or your rent is payable or your, your car is dilapidated. It is not wise to buy another guitar. Add your thing in there. Whatever it is. Cars, Mark. Excuse me. Um, whatever it is, just add those things. Third, and, and I want to say this is a big one. How many? No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> oh, man. I can't argue that. Seek out the pastors and elders of this church who want to care for you and want to encourage you and want to come alongside of you in the journey. I don't care what my schedule is like. I tell my kids this all the time, and I've told people close, if you need something, I'll be there. If it's legit, I'll be there. Do not make assumptions for the elders of this church that they're too busy to hear from you a concern that you might have. Don't say, well, people are too busy to seek counsel and wisdom and maybe someone that you're dating or someone that you're going to marry or somewhere that you're going to go to school or some are financing a home. I send my son to Pastor Todd when he went to look to buy a truck because I don't know vehicles, but he does. Simple as that. We, we seek people who know what they're doing. 
Don't come to me about accounting questions. If you need me to appoint you to somebody, I will. But don't come to me for that. There are many people in this church who are good for that. So we need to seek after godly counsel, starting with people close to us, starting with people who are subject matter experts in their field, and then uh, even the church elders and, and pastoral staff. Third, do what you want. Remember the, I'm going to go back to the selection thing, 60 flavors, six flavors, we're trapped with options. But if you have gone through scripture with something, and you have determined that it is not against God's will for your life, and two, you have gone and sought counsel from godly people who are grounded in the word, and you have six options, do what you want. I, bless my heart, my wife's heart, I waited so long because I was properly informed on what marriage meant and what it meant selecting a wife that I felt like I could make a mistake in, you know, in like there's only one person for me out there. And there was, and I, I knew who that person was when I said I do. She was God's best for me in that moment. But don't get caught up in the, you know, I've got to wait for that one. Hey, find someone who knows Jesus, loves Jesus. Ask a couple of people around you. Hey, is this person, do you think this will work? And then guess what? Go for it. Do what you want. Don't get caught up in the waiting for a special moment because God will speak through his people and through his word. And lastly, ask for faith. Proverbs 16.1 says, The plans of the heart belong to man but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Jesus is directing our life. If you're a Christian this morning, he's directing your life. Ask for faith. Ask for faith. The heart, Proverbs 16, 9 says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I want you to hear one thing more, then I'll close. If you've gone through a decision-making process where you've found God's word and you've been grounded in it, that's great. And two, you've gone and you sought counsel and you've gone, gone through that list. And then three, you do what you want. Then four, you're gonna have to ask for faith. And you might say, why is that, Eric? I'm gonna say because your plan might not even go like you think it will go after you've gone through the whole process can't just go through a prescription and assume it's all going to go right. I mean, picture all the disciples. I don't think God's plan in their life was the same as what they thought. Yeah, I want to be bold in oil. That's going to be great. I'm going to be, Bartholomew was filleted alive. Hey, I'm in. Jesus was crucified. Not my will, but thine be done. Our following after God's wisdom will lead you to blessing of right relationship with him, but it might not turn out the way you think, and that's why you need faith. So church, I just pray that in the life of making decisions, that you will not do it alone. Do not be a fool. Do not do it alone. Seek after God's counsel in his word. Seek after godly counsel from people who know and have experience and come to the church 
for help. And if you don't know somebody, we'll, and we're not the people, we will find somebody for you to go with if you're intent on following after Jesus in the process. I can assure you we're not going to justify your funk, but we will encourage your soul as you walk with Jesus in that. So would you please stand as we get ready to pray. We're getting ready to come to communion this morning, and I guess my hope is that you will pray for faith right now. That whatever decision that you are facing, whether it's difficult or simplistic, that you will walk the journey of the word and counsel from others to start that process. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died on the cross for our sins, that you have given us your righteousness that you have taken all of our sinfulness upon you. You took it on the cross, and now it is separated as far as the east is from the west. God, I pray that we would follow after your precepts in the word and that we will seek after your wisdom. Holy Spirit, would you guide these people in whatever journey they're facing? Lord, would they be wise? Would they be um, Christ-minded in this? Lord, that they would not go out on their own, but they would seek after you first and then others. Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice of your body and your blood, which, which we are going to celebrate and remember. Lord, we do this in remembrance of you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.